morning, guys. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus in chapter 7, that's where we'll find ourselves today. Exodus chapter 7, let there be light. There you go. So this week we find ourselves in Exodus, and we, if you'll remember with me, last week we looked at um, Moses and Aaron starting to fulfill their role and sharing the truth and then calling for Pharaoh to let the people go. He said in verse 3 of chapter 7, he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And in verse 5, he says, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. In the land of Egypt, uh, the Pharaoh was known as Lord. He was known as Master. And at the same time, they worshipped foreign gods. They, they worshipped you know, frogs, and they worshipped flies, and they worshipped creation, and they worshipped creatures instead of the Creator himself. And so with that being the case, the Lord says in chapter 7, verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. I'm going to deliver my people. And so in chapter 7, in the second part, we saw Aaron doing what the Lord told him, taking the rod of God, that's what I would call it, his rod that he was walking with. God told him, throw it down on the ground. It's going to turn into a serpent, and that will be a sign to those that will receive it. And yet, you remember the last time when he threw down his rod, it became a serpent that actually um, the, the false teachers, these guys that were in the cabinet of the Pharaoh, they also threw down their rods, and by enchantments, they turned their rods into serpents. But if you remember... Um, the rod of Aaron actually swallowed up the rod that they had thrown down. And so uh, the power of God is beyond the power of the enemy to confuse and destroy. And so in chapter 7, verse 14, we begin this morning, and I know you guys are just looking forward to on a nice, beautiful, sunny morning, let's talk about plagues. I mean, right? In our culture right now, pandemics, plagues, bring it on, Right? And so, but in light of the word of God, what we're going to see is that these were plagues, but they were meant to be signs and wonders to Pharaoh. They were actually meant to soften his heart, and yet God knew ahead of time that Pharaoh would harden his heart and reject uh, the, the cause of God. And so chapter 7, verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, stand by the river's bank to meet him, and the rod which turned into a serpent you shall take in your hand. You shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you would not hear. So many times we think about Moses, we think about the main phrase that might encapsulate his life purpose. And it might be the phrase, let my people go. What's interesting is many times I hear people say that, and I have said it myself. That was his phrase, let my people go. But there was a purpose for him to let the people go. 
the, the, the cry from Moses was, let my people go so that what? They may serve me. And for you and I, and actually all men and women, men and women that have lived and live now and will live, our main purpose is to serve God. Not ourselves, not our families, not our jobs, not any other thing. Our main purpose for being created was to serve God. And the reality is, is that's, that's got all twisted and mixed up. And now we, according to Romans 1, we serve the creature or the creation instead of the creator. And so because that's backwards, everything's in a bind. Everything seems to be confusing about life. And yet what he says here is, let my people go so they may serve me. And that's really what Jesus was saying when he cast out demons. That was what Jesus was saying when he healed people. He said, I'm going to set them free so they can serve me. And if you notice, the people that he healed many times would respond and say, thank you. But they wouldn't always take what they had been given, their freedom, and serve God. Even the miraculous. You remember the story of the 10 lepers, that they were all healed of leprosy, and yet only one went back to Jesus and told him, thank you. Only one of them said, what can I do in return? And Jesus said, go to the temple and give the offering at the temple that was the offering that was prescribed by Moses, and then have the priest inspect you because you've been healed. And so all that to say, he says, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But until now, the Pharaoh would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, Take your rod, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And so the water wasn't just the, you know, the, the natural places where water would sit, but also any containers that contain water, they also would turn to blood. So Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod, he struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, so that there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But then, verse 22 the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, just like they did with the rod. They duplicated the miracle. Why? To confuse things. God wanted the Pharaoh and the Egyptians to see that this was a work of God, and yet the enemy always comes in and counterfeits what God does himself in order to bring into question, was it really God? And when they do this, by the way, with their enchantments, they, they actually help 
hardened Pharaoh's heart. And because of this, the Pharaoh did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So look at verse 22. So remember what we just read. God was pretty clear. All of the pools of water, all the natural pools of water, all of the unnatural ones, all of their buckets, all of their stone water holders, their troughs, everything that was exposed to the air was turned into blood from water, right? And yet, in order to counterfeit this miracle, the, these, these men, these magicians, they have to find water to turn it into blood. They, they literally had to dig for fresh water. And when they found it, rather than going, hey guys, no big deal, we found water. You guys can have water to drink and stay alive. They made it worse. They, they took the, the little fresh water they found and they turned it to blood. And I want to tell you something. Satan and his demons, all the, the fallen angels, have power to do the things that God does. Do you know that? Satan is real. That's why I don't dress my kids up like Satan at at Halloween. Because the reality is, he is real and he wants us to think he's a joke. So that when things happen, we start complaining against God at things that we think are God's fault. And the reality is, Satan is at work and he does these things. But I want to point out that though many will go to Satan or a soothsayer or a palm reader or any of these things to get advice or to, to, to have power for healing, which does happen, the reality is that when Satan gets involved and his power does a work, it always makes things worse. It doesn't make it better. God heals, Satan destroys. And it might look like a good thing when he does it, but many times when he does those things, it causes chaos, confusion, and problems. And so here we have these men who could have been helpful, dug up some water and helped their people, and instead, to disprove the miracle of God, they turn the fresh water they have into blood. And because of this, the Pharaoh sees it and goes, eh, it's just a coincidence. These are just magicians. They're just people that are coming in and and trying to, to give authority over me. And so Pharaoh's heart grew hard once again, and this keeps happening. And then he goes back to his house and forgets about even taking care of his own people. So chapter 8, we see the second plague. The Lord spoke to Moses. Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, and there it is again, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. Now, some of you might think this is the weirdest plague ever, and I think it's a little weird too. Um, Hey, my clicker's not working for some reason. So these frogs that he's going to smite them with, when he smites them with frogs, when he strikes them with an abundance of frogs, it's because they worshipped frogs. They had a god over the frogs. 
And so every one of these judgments, these plagues, are meant to show them that, by the way, Pharaoh's not in control of this thing like you think he is. You think that he's God. You think this God over the frogs loves you. But the reality is, um, God's God over these things. And so he can bring an abundance and he can take them away. And so when he does this, it says there, the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom. Picture this, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. So they don't stay out of the kitchen. They go right in. And this is not to make frog licks, although those are pretty good. And the frog shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. Find this interesting because these frogs are no longer coming out of water. They're coming out of blood. These are unnatural frogs. But you might think, what, what, what's the big deal? But in their day, they wouldn't say they multiply like rabbits. They would say they multiply like frogs. Frogs multiply just as much as rabbits do. And if you don't think so, wait till uh, when those little tadpoles start growing in the streams, right? They're everywhere. And they, they come out in abundance. And so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And so guess what the magicians did? They said, you know, our land's covered in frogs. Let's make some more. Very helpful guys. So the magicians did so with their enchantments, and they brought up frogs on the land as well. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat the Lord. This is a first. Pharaoh is actually giving us a little glimmer of hope that he's actually going to submit himself to the Lord. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Please entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And if you do so, I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying when. Say when I shall intercede for you. He says, hey, Moses, pray for me. Get rid of these frogs. And Moses says, okay, tell me when. It's, it's as if the Pharaoh is in the midst of doing what he does, and it's, it's like he's asking for judgment. And so the Lord is like, he's got this little bowl with creamer in it, except it's full of frogs, and he's dumping it on the land of Egypt, and he says very coyly, Say when? Say when? Is it enough yet? And Moses speaks to Pharaoh and says, tell me when you want me to pray for you. You get to choose. And so um, he says, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. And so... Just like a wise man, he says, I'll have one more night with the frogs. Leave them. We, we, we've kind of gotten used to them. We want to say goodbye. So maybe tomorrow. Which is interesting because I think a lot of people, 
when presented with the gospel, hey, with a word, your sin completely wiped away and forgiven. No more shame, no more judgment. Instead, unbroken fellowship with God. No more frogs. By the way, frogs are a very good type of sin because we think that we can control them. We think that we can kind of live with them. It's just one area of my life that affects everything else is fine. And then before you know it, they multiply sin. And and it's in every crevice of your life. And now you can't get rid of it. It's controlling you. And what God says is, if you will come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest from your, from your frogs. And you know what we say? I, I kind of still like them a little bit. How about tomorrow? And the Lord sees it from this perspective. You want to live with frogs in your house? You're not going to sleep very good. And I've told you all it's going to take is a word and they're gone. How about tomorrow? Seems kind of foolish when you put it that way, doesn't it? And yet many people still love frogs rather than God. And so they say, not yet. Maybe when I get a little older, after I've enjoyed it a little bit longer. And in the same token, here's what he does. The Lord doesn't say, no, what's going to happen today? He says, okay, tomorrow. And so it says there, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Verse 11, and the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain only where they belong, in the river. So then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. Moses is praying for the number one top dog enemy in his culture. He's praying that the Lord would be merciful to Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out of the houses and out of the courtyards and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stinketh. Have you ever gone fishing and get done cleaning all your fish, and you forget to get rid of them right away, and so they sit there, and they fester, and the guts are there, and then they stinketh? I've never done that, but in the case that you do, they will start to be putrid, right? Sin is like that, by the way. I love this because... God, in a word, can remove sin, can remove the power of sin. But guess what? Though our sins be forgiven, there are still consequences that stick around after they leave, aren't there? Many of you spend a lot of your time forgiven of your sin, you know it, but you're still having to live with the consequences of sins that you committed years ago because though they're forgiven, the consequences are still there much like the smell of the dead frogs. The the frogs are done. They're no longer multiplying. They're no longer in the kneading bowls. But you can still smell the stench there. It's almost a plague in and of itself. Keep going. It's okay. God's dealing with the scent. He's dealing with that. He's making you the aroma of Christ. 
It doesn't mean you're not forgiven. It just means that some things we reap what we sow. And yet God is for us and he'll continue that work of sanctification. But here we have um, these counterfeiters. We have Pharaoh seeking relief. We have Moses telling Pharaoh to say when. And then Moses intercedes for Pharaoh. But notice the Pharaoh's response, verse 15. When Pharaoh saw relief... He wasn't changed. Instead, he continued to harden himself against God. He hardened his heart and did not heed Moses and Aaron as the Lord had said he would. It makes me wonder why the Lord suffers so long with us. Why does he reach out his arm all day long? Isaiah prophesied this. The Lord is continually reaching out his his arm to save those that would respond to his grace. And yet, knowing full and well that Pharaoh was going to reject his grace, was going to reject his mercy. I don't know why he does it, but I'm thankful. Because I can give you at least a decade where I had been exposed to the truth, and yet I was more like Pharaoh than Moses. How about tomorrow? How about later? I want God, but I don't want to forsake my sin. I kind of like it right now. And so the Lord continued to let me have my sin until it ran over me. Verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice. Some of your translations probably say gnats. Throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and he struck the dust of the earth, and it became gnats on man and beast. And all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice. These guys are like the worst helpers ever. Not only are they confusing the Pharaoh and and causing him to think that the work of God is something that's just coincidence or happenstance, but at the same time, They keep creating more problems. But notice here it says they could not. They could not replicate this sign. And so there were lice on man and beast. And then the magicians, trying to do their enchantments, unable to imitate God here, this is their confession. This is their testimony to their boss. This is none other than the finger of God that has done this because we can't do it. There is a limit to the power of Satan. There is a limit to the power of darkness. There's power there, but there is a limit to that power. And notice this here. Even the enemies of God here say, this is none other than the hand of God. James says that the demons believe in God and yet they tremble. Did you know that? That the enemies of God, demon, these fallen angels, those that have followed Lucifer from heaven, they believe in God and they tremble. It does them no good though because they don't submit themselves to God. He says, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. So then the Lord said to Moses, verse 20, Rise early in the morning, 
and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Apparently the Pharaoh goes out to the water a lot. And then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. (laughs) Same message, right? Every time. If only the Pharaoh would let them go so they could serve God, these plagues would be over. Verse 21, or else if you will not let my people go, he always gives them an ultimatum. Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, here's the distinction. See, up until now, all these plagues have not only affected the Egyptians and the Pharaoh, but also Moses, Aaron, and the children of Israel. But verse 22 says, In that day... I will set apart the land of Goshen. If you remember, that's where Jacob and his sons settled when they first came to Egypt four decades before, or four uh, centuries before. And they settled in Goshen. He says, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people will dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, so that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I'm God here. And these things that I'm doing, these signs and wonders, up until now, they've affected everyone. But so that you'll know that I am God and I'm making a distinction between the world and between my descendants, the children of Abraham, this particular plague will not affect my people. It will only affect you. He says, I will make a difference, verse 23, between my people and your people. And tomorrow this sign shall take place. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh. So think about this. There's gnats, right? The gnats are everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And if you're like me, there's nothing more annoying than that except it's incessant. And if you know anything about livestock, it will drive them mad. And for sheep in particular, they'll stop eating, they'll stop listening to their shepherd, they'll scatter. So it's not good for livestock, but think about what it does to an individual. Now cover all the people you live around with this irritant. We might even be able to compare it to the news or a particular brand of virus The more you hear about it, the more irritated you are, the less you can focus on things that really matter. And so you just, you're so worked up into a froth, you can't even pay attention and it drives you insane. That's what's happening to the Pharaoh with the gnats. And then don't even get me started on flies. For those of you that have worked on a farm, you, you think about flies, you're not thinking about them landing on you. You're thinking about what they stood in and licked and ate before they get on you and bite you. And then you're like, if they land on your face, it's just... I spent one summer working... I spent several summers working on a farm. But one of my jobs was actually to use a skid steer to load the manure spreader. And when you have a skid steer that has no windows on it and has no doors that seal, you spend most of your summer eating poop. No big deal, right? until those flies come around and they've been in the fresh stuff and then they land all over you and you just eventually get used to it, unfortunately, but it's just sick. 
And so all that to say, these, these Egyptians who hate livestock anyway are now being covered in whatever those flies are touching and walking all over them. And so it's irritating at the least, and at the most, it's maddening. So then, where were we? How do you come back from that? The Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies, verse 24, came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt, and the land was corrupted. And I think what I just described was kind of corrupted. You know, it was nasty, it was defiled because of the swarms of flies. So then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God. Okay, I've had enough. But notice what he says here is, go sacrifice to your God in the land. I'll let you sacrifice, but you ain't leaving. I want you to compromise here. And Moses, being emboldened by all that he's seeing the Lord do, said, It's not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We don't want to, we want to be good neighbors. We we don't want to be an abomination. We want to go and serve God as he has called us to serve. We will go three days journey. Notice he's not asking permission here. He's saying, we will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, okay, okay, I'll let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far. Okay, so you don't have to do it in the land, but don't go three days journey. Why don't you stick close because we got to get back to processing and making bricks for my buildings. But he says, intercede for me. So the enemies of God are always trying to get us to compromise. Number one, to compromise on on what God has told us. God told them, I want you to go three days journey and sacrifice. And the enemy says, how about you just sacrifice here? And then Moses says, no. He says, okay, well, you can go sacrifice, but don't go too far. Don't leave the world too much. Stay in the world while you're trying to worship Jesus. Be like the world a little bit, not all the way. You don't have to become a Jesus freak. You don't have to be a weirdo in your culture. You just need to kind of be weird, and then you'll be accepted. But nonetheless, Pharaoh says, please intercede for me, Moses. So then Moses said, indeed, I'm going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. He's still praying for Pharaoh, even though Pharaoh wants him to compromise. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully. Stop lying in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Because over and over he says, well, if you do this, then we can do this. If you take away this plague, then I'll let you go worship. And then he goes, "Eh, maybe not. I, I just wanted the thing to go away. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the words of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one of them remained. Which is saying something, because apparently it was as much as the dust in Egypt, how many gnats there were. It was, it, it, there were swarms of flies everywhere. 
But notice this. Pharaoh responds to this. To God's mercy, the Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. So the Lord holds up his bargain with this unbeliever, and the unbeliever still says, nah, you guys can't go. So I want to point something out here that's a pattern. The Pharaoh, he saw the blood. He saw his, his land, his kingdom, covered in blood. He saw the relief from the plagues that the Lord offered him, even though the Lord knew he wouldn't let his people go. He saw God's finger perform a miracle that none of his magicians could do. It wasn't any longer, oh, well, this guy could be a charlatan that's just doing David Copperfield tricks. It wasn't like that. Um, it was something that only, they said only God could do this. And he was witness to that. They saw that after all the times that Pharaoh had not held up his end of the bargain, the Lord still listened to Moses and removed the gnats and the flies and the frogs, every one of it. And yet Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. I look up the word hardened, and the word is in the Hebrew kabod, which is weightiness or stiffness or hardness, um, calloused or unyielding. Many of you have probably never seen this, but have you ever seen a toddler in a store when his parents told him no, stiffen up his body and fall over and start kicking and screaming. Have you ever seen that? I th- that's, the, that's what I get the picture when I hear the word kabod. That's what the Pharaoh's doing. Pharaoh, this is what you need to do. No! 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 And those kids are so cute until they get to that stage, and it makes my blood boil. But that's what Pharaoh's doing when he's exposed to the glory and the signs and the wonders and the mercy. He's hearing the words of God through Aaron. He's being exposed to the truth that could set him free if he would only heed it, listen to it. And yet when he's exposed to the glory of God, you know what he does? He says no. And then he says no. And then he says no. And by the end of these plagues, he'll no longer have a choice. He will be stiffened. He'll be frozen in this no face. Have you ever been so burdened by something that it causes you to be uncomfortable and by the time you get done worrying and being anxious about it, your whole body is sore? That's where Pharaoh's at. And yet what's interesting about the word kabod is if you look at Second Chronicles in chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, King Solomon built the temple. And when he built the temple, he had this dedication ceremony. And since he was the king at the time, he actually praised this prayer of dedication over the place. And they're getting ready to sacrifice tens of thousands of sheep and goats and bulls and incense and all the stuff that was prescribed in the law. And as they're getting ready to go in and sacrifice, before they can even start, as Solomon gets done praying at prayer or dedication over the, the place where God would be worshipped, God blesses them with the manifest presence of him. 
His glory, His Shekinah glory, the same glory that led them through the wilderness, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day, the physical presence of God. And as they're dedicating the temple, the physical presence of God, the glory of God, descends upon the temple in this smoke so thick and so weighty and so heavy that the priests and the Levites couldn't even go into the temple to do their duties because they couldn't see anything. It was too heavy, the weightiness of God. And when the weightiness of God came, all of the Israelites, including Solomon, threw themselves down on the ground and they said, Lord, you're good. And they began worshiping God. So in contrast to that, we have Pharaoh, who sees all the same thing that the Israelites had seen And yet, instead of humbling himself and bowing low, he stiffens himself. You might say he got swole. No, I'm going to take care of things. I'm in control here. And so the question that I have for us, because we're not Pharaoh, the question I have for us, how do I respond to the manifest presence of God? Now, I'm saying this because this is what I got challenged with with this passage this week. I was like, Lord, how do I apply plagues to our current circumstance? Are we supposed to call down plagues on our enemies? Is that what we're supposed to do this week? I don't think so. Jesus actually became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And so how do I walk righteously in my day, in my time as a follower of God? How do I react to God's glory? That's the question. Am I like the Pharaoh? Am I calloused? Am I unyielding? Do I stiffen myself against God and say no? Or am I a person of faith who becomes more yielding? The more I hear from God, the more I want to hear, and the more I, I actually hear and obey what Scripture tells me in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, is that faith or a faith-filled life, is a fruit of, it comes by hearing the word of God. Pharaoh heard the word of God. But then hearing comes by taking what we hear and simply responding in obedience and in flexibility and being willing to yield rather than stoving myself up. And in James chapter 3, Verse 17, it says that the wisdom that comes down from above is first peaceable, and it's willing to what? It's willing to yield. So the question I have for us this morning is, when I'm exposed to the glory of God that's revealed to us in his word, am I a person that explains it away or calls it false Or says, that's just coincidence, I read that this morning. God's not trying to teach me that. That was written thousands of years ago. I just happened to be reading this passage. Has nothing to do with the fact that I did this or that the other day. God's not trying to correct me. That's just in there. Right? You ever read the word, open your Bible, and you read a passage, and you're like, whoa, that's convicting. That's just coincidence. It's not really anything to do. But but God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I heard this said one time, and it kind of blew my mind. The word of God is living. 
And God is still alive, by the way. Jesus is the living Son of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I, who will inherit salvation. But the Word of God is also living, and it's speaking into our lives, because every time we approach the living God, we're a different person than we were the last time we read that passage. He knows exactly what we're experiencing and he is sovereignly in control of what page we turn to and he knows what it's going to take to break through that hard candy shell of our hearts. And so while it is necessary for us to be soft to the God of the word and the word of God in order for us to be quickened and have our eyes open to salvation, we also have to be supple and willing to listen every day of our salvation. Every day of this walk of faith, God's desiring to drop bread in our path so that we can continue the walk of faith until we see him face to face. So the glory of God is revealed to us in his word. If we will yield to it, guess what the gift is? We become more likely to receive more of it later as well. The inverse is always also true that if God has shown you something and you've said no to it, he's not going to tell you anything else until you listen to that piece and then he'll take you to the next step. And he is patient. He is much more patient than you and I are. He will wait you out. He will let you cry and throw a fit. And Lord, why am I not hearing your voice until you're blue in the face? And when you're over your little fit, he'll tell you the same thing again. And guess what? The beauty is when you obey it, you respond in faith to that thing, then he'll be ready to give you the next thing. But we just got to trust him. And so, Father, um, I come to you this morning very, very thankful for your long suffering with me. And I come to you as an heir of salvation who has gotten it right many times, and who has also stiffened my neck against you many times. And so, Father, I confess that this morning and ask that you would forgive me. Even this week, as I read this passage and as you applied this to my heart, just driving home going, wow, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of what Pharaoh has done. And yet, by your grace and your mercy, You're still reaching out to me, and so I'm just grateful for that, Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has heard the call of salvation and has continued to say, maybe tomorrow, we don't know if we have tomorrow. So I pray, Father, that you would continue to impress upon them that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to be forgiven and have that slate completely washed clean. And at the same time, for those of us who have already responded to that call and are claiming to follow you by faith, if there's anything that you've asked us to do, any step of faith that we've decided maybe tomorrow, I pray that you'd help us to repent of that and to confess that we've been unfaithful. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd open up our hearts and give us the ability to say, I'm sorry, let me try again today. Lord, I'll do that thing. And Lord, would you bless that step of faith? Would you give us more capacity to receive more and more of you? In Jesus' name, amen.